Yep. Worship team, you can make your way to the altar, please. Good morning, New Hope Community Church. We all can make our way back to our seats so we can step into what God has for us this morning. Can we all give Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, a shout of praise in this church this morning? Thank you, Father, right? Thank you for waking us up and getting us here, right? Thank you all for taking that step to walk through them doors today. So as we get ready to step into what God has for us, can we just stand up as a church and as a community and as a family and give our Father honor and praise today? In Jesus' name, I just ask that, Father, you just open our minds and open our hearts for you this morning, Lord. Allow us to seek you and seek you more and more and more, Father. Let us realize that we are nothing without you, Lord. So, Father, let us come empty 
and bring whatever we're going through to, to you right now, Lord, so that we can be filled up by your praises and worship. Father, some of us may be struggling right here, Lord, but your word and your power is great, Father. So let us seek you this morning. Let them seek you. Let them need you. Let them want, let them want you. Let them want to just praise you and be comfortable with you this morning, Lord. Father, we know you're the God of promises, so allow these people to realize that you are the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and you will make it happen. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, 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 amen. Can we give our Father some worship this morning?
praise to God in advance for every victory he's already going to give us. Everything we haven't seen come to pass, we know is going to come to pass. All of our needs are met in Christ Jesus. Everything we need for life and godliness. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. Give him some praise. Give him a shout of triumph. Give him a shout of triumph. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. have your word, Lord. We can trust you. We have confidence, Lord. We have confidence, Lord.
working it all for good. Fan the flame and keep it burning. Oh, you're fighting in the furnace. Oh, all the weight it will be worth it. Cause you're working it Yeah. 
open door, as we open door, here it comes, so be ready for another one, cause another one is on the way, miracle after miracle, open door after open door, here it comes, so get ready for another one, cause another one is on the way. definitely given us the gift of faith in this place this morning. Let's just sing this real quick. I've seen you move. Thank you. I just thank you. I just thank you just for this time of praise and worship, Lord. As we continue to just step into your presence, as we continue to just learn more about you, Father, in this service, Lord, I ask that you just clear our minds once again, Father, so that we can regain and gain what you have for us today, Lord. Uh, Father, I put a special protection upon these key teachers this morning, Lord, as they get ready to hear your word and teach your word, Father. Uh, Lord, uh, 
You do amazing things, Lord. You do amazing things. You do amazing things. So build these teachers up in your name, Lord. Father, build these kids up in your name, Lord. Allow them to see the foundation that you want them to be built upon, Father. Show them what it means to be loved. Loved by you. Loved by you, Lord. Give these teachers the strength to love. Love through you, Father. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. Welcome to New Hope Community Church. So glad that you're here. What a powerful time of praise and worship. Nothing like gathering with the people of God, being in the presence of God. So happy to see old faces and new faces. I know that God's going to do something powerful here today beyond what he already has. So I hope you came expecting for God to move in a powerful way. As the kids make their way out to their classes, and by the way, we, we could use a couple extra hands uh, as far as the teaching ministry goes. So if you want to see my daughter, she's on the way out. She usually has a small child strapped to her front. If you're wondering who she was, uh, see her if you're interested. Uh, obviously, um, you know, there's a little higher threshold that we have to get to to uh, be able to work with our children because our children are valuable to us. Amen. So if you can help out in that area, I realize that everybody wants to sit in service and nobody wants to miss a service. But, you know, if we have a lot of people that are willing to help then you won't have to miss out in a bunch of services, amen? And it's doing ministry, you're serving. You're, you're, you're serving in the sense that, like, your kids aren't just getting babysat. You know, they're, they're, they're getting taught the Word of God in a, in a way that they can understand it. So we could use some help, so we're going to do some recruiting in that. Um, we're going to take our offering today. Uh, ushers, if you want to make your way forward, a little bit of an obscure passage, Deuteronomy 14, 23. It says, eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he chose as a dwelling place for his name so that you may learn to revere the Lord. In the Old Covenant, there were several different tithes that, that, that were um, asked for, and one of them was that you would take a tenth and you would save it, and at the time of the feast, you would take what you have and you would take it to wherever you were living and you would take it to Jerusalem to be around the temple during feast time. And that's when you would um, eat this, this tithe of the first fruit, your grains and, and all those things. Um, but it says that in the very end, it says, you know, do this so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. There's an older translation called the Living Bible. It sums it all up. That part, it says the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. So really doesn't get that, get, get any clearer, any easier than that. And um, if you were here last week, you know, we talked about we are taking the tithe challenge. So hopefully you guys have decided to take the tithe challenge. It's not I who created the challenge, right? It's the Lord who said, test me on this. 
and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so big that you won't be able to contain it. So I'm going to pray. If you'd like to give electronically, uh, there's uh, some ways. There's text to give. You should have it on the screen. There's a place on your bulletins that you'll be able to scan, and that'll take you right to a link where you can give via share faith. So Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for uh, this day, this service, this building, uh, even the breath in our lungs and everything that you've done for us, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that um, according to your word, Lord, that everyone who, who, who takes the challenge, who takes the test, Lord, that we, we come into agreement with your promises that says that you will open up the windows of heaven. You will pour out a blessing so big that you will rebuke the, the devourer, Lord. So we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Just a little, as the ushers go and make their way around, uh, just a little housekeeping. Um, the Philadelphia missions trip to the Philly Dream Center. We had one meeting, kind of an informational meeting. I know everybody wasn't able to make that. Um, next week, we, we kind of had a target date of two weeks. We wanted to have another meeting. But we're going to go ahead and kick that meeting back one more week because I wanted to give everybody an opportunity uh, to who would like to participate in that trip. Um, it will be in June. So if you think that you want to come to that, come to next week. It'll be, you know, about 20 minutes, a half hour after service. Um, it takes me a minute to get out of here when, when service closes um, over in the green room. But we kind of need your yes by then so we can begin planning uh, for the summer. So if you want to kind of get out of your element, go to a, go to a big city and learn how to do, you know, urban ministry, um, you know, that, that's a great place to go. And, and it's just a good time of fellowship. And sometimes, you know, you've got to get out of your element. Sometimes, you know, you might not feel confident necessarily going out like right where you live and, and, and sharing the gospel with people who know you. But this will take you out of your element, get you in a place. You, you have a great, you'll make great friends and great connections uh, with the different people that you go with. And it'll kind of get you started, and you'll get a confidence to come back and bring everything that you learned back here. So um, looking forward to see that. Plus, there's just too much goodness, too much Holy Spirit power, too much, you know, flow here to keep it all in one space. So we need to expand a little bit and share uh, with the, the city to the east. So, um, hey, we're going to get into our message. Um, we are in our Kingdom Faith series. This is the fourth message, and I'm not going to do a whole bunch of uh, introduction because there's a lot of ground uh, that I want to cover today. So if you have your Bibles with you, let's go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, and we're going to begin at verse 13. Hebrews 6, verse 13. If you're there, say amen not there say oh my Hebrews 6 13 reading from the new King James version says when God made his promise to Abraham since there was no one greater for him to swear by he swore by himself saying I will surely bless you and give you many descendants and so after waiting patiently Abraham received what was promised Verse 16, 
People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God this, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. If you could bow your head and just pray with me for this message. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, and I just pray, Lord, I pray that faith would rise in this sanctuary. Lord, I pray that strongholds of, of doubt and distrust would be broken today. Lord, and I just pray that you would anoint me to teach and preach your word. Lord, I pray that your word would go forth, that it would find good soil, and it would bring that 30, 60, 90-fold uh, return. Lord, so I just pray that my spirit would decrease and your Holy Spirit would increase, and I pray that the people of God would be edified and the name of Jesus would be glorified. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, go ahead and just give an elbow to your neighbor and tell him, here we go. Get ready. Get ready. You can't, don't get comfortable. Just give an elbow. Throw him. He's on his phone. Give him an elbow. There you go. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, so we've been talking about kingdom faith for the past few weeks. And namely, we, our faith is in what God promised us, right? What, what are the promises that God has given to us as children of God? How many of you know that in this book, there are many promises? Now, if you do a Google search of how many promises are in the Bible, you'll get numbers between 3,000 to 8,000, 5,000, but the minimum seems to be 3,000, and I'm really too lazy to go through and count everyone myself so we're just going to shoot for 3,000 plus promises in the bible uh, for you and i how do we obtain those promises we obtain the promises by faith we believe in our heart then the faith that we have in our heart leads us to take an action because the bible says that faith without works is dead Faith without works is dead. Like, you can believe that Jesus heals. Yeah, I believe that Jesus heals. The Bible says that, you know, these signs will follow those who believe, that we will lay our hands on the sick and they will recover. And you can say, you know what, I, 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 believe, that, I believe that Jesus heals, but if you're not laying hands on nobody that's sick, believing God to heal them, then you're not going to possess that particular promise for you. Because you're not doing the corresponding action. You're saying that you, you believe, but you're not doing the action to be able to obtain the promise. You can believe that, that God wants to provide all your needs and that he wants to, to prosper and multiply you. And you can believe that the Bible says that, you know what, it says that if I bring my tithe, it'll open up the windows of heaven. But if you don't actually take the faith to actually give the money then you're not going to obtain the, the, the promise that, that, that's associated with that, right? The, it's, 
it's not about works, but, but our, our works reveal our faith. In other words, what we do reveals what, what, we, truly, what we truly believe. And we've been, we've been looking at the, the, the story of, uh, of Abraham, and, and, and we kind of find Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and, and, and we see the first thing that God does is he gives him something to do. He says, get out of your country, get away from your family, and from your father's house and go to a land that I will show you then he gives him a promise he says I'll make you a great nation that that I'll bless you I'll make your name great and, and you will be a blessing what if Abraham hears from God and then just decides you know what I know God said that I need to get away from my father's house and leave my land but you know what I don't know if he really meant that and, He's God anyway, and I'm kind of comfortable here in, in this land of Ur. And so if God wants to bless me, he can just bless me here. I don't really have to follow along with what he says. Right? What if Abraham never decided to leave? Would he have become a great nation? Would he have been blessed? Would he have been blessed to the point where, where, where he could, could, could bring a blessing? Right? The answer is no. If he didn't listen to what God said to, to leave his father's house, he, he, he would not have possessed the promises that, that he did. But, but I know that in his heart he had faith and he believed the word because he did. He, he left his father's land. So faith is in here, but, but the faith should manifest so that it shows an outward action. In a similar way, God calls us to live a new life, to live in a different way, to talk in a different way, to act in a different way, to, to, to go to different places. He has a new plan for, for our life. He has new purposes, right? We call it the abundant life. We call it the, the resurrected life. We, 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 call it, um, we call it a born again life. But we, we can't fully possess the, the promises of God if we're, we are not willing to drop the old way that we used to live. You, you can't live in both places. You can't, you, you can't not live your life in a way that, that, that is counter to the, the way that the Bible instructs us to, to live, right? It's, it's a book of promise, but it's also an instruction book. It's the Bible. It's, it's basic instructions before leaving earth. It's our owner's manual. It has a way that, that we're supposed to live. And look, it's okay to... To, to come from the streets all of us have a past all of us have have come from somewhere but but don't think that you can still be out in the streets and live in the promises of God unless you're out on the streets doing street evangelism but but I but I think you know like what I'm talking about when I'm saying be out there in the streets like some of the people they're not in church this morning because last night they were out in the streets and they couldn't wake up this morning because they were out partying, they're hungover, they, can, they can't get up. You're not going to live in the promises of God and, and, and be out there. It's not, it's not going to work. And so if I have faith that God has a better life for me, then that faith should be reflected by my actions. And the reason that we don't follow through with actions that are consistent with with our faith is because it, it really comes down to this do we really believe that God will keep his promises do we really believe that 
Because, because I, I think the problem is, is we live in a day and a time where people aren't very trustworthy. People say they're going to do something and they don't, they don't follow through. You, you make a deal with somebody, you say, hey, here's, here's the rules, here's what we talked about, and, and, and they don't keep their end of the bargain. It's pretty consistent. Like, how about this? Our whole world's financial system is built on distrust. You want to know why? Because when you go to get a car loan or you go to get a mortgage for your house, they make you sign 25, 30 different papers. They wouldn't do that if they trusted you to pay them. Right? They would just shake your hand. But everything is in there. You know what? If you don't pay, we're going to come, we're going to take your car, we're going to sue you. We're going to take your firstborn child. You know, we're, we're going to do all that. You know, we're going to mess up your credit. We're going to embarrass you. You know, we're going to call your work. Right? All those things are, are in there because it's built on a system of, of distrust. If somebody trusted you, I should be able to shake their hand and, and trust what they say. So we need to be trustworthy people. And I think sometimes a lot of us have had authority figures in our life that we should have been able to trust it might have been parents might be relatives grandparents uncles aunts that we should have been able to trust teachers people you know that, that we leave our kids with that we should be able to trust police officers judges we people that are in authority bosses that are in some kind of uh, you know power position over us and we should be able to trust them but but we're betrayed by them and we're used to being betrayed by uh, authority figures so what happens is we take this distrust for authority and we kind of put it on God and if we're if we're used to being betrayed being let down all those then we're not so sure that we can trust the promises of God so we kind of hold back from the full commitment of following God but how many of you know, God's calling right now, hey, I just want to let you know, I, I, I agree with that. How many of you know that God swears? Some of you guys are like, yeah, that's good because I swear too. I thought it was just me, but, but, but when I say God swears, I don't mean that God uses uses foul language and honestly you shouldn't either so if you're a christian if you're a follower of jesus you know like expand your vocabulary amen like like live your life in a way that that that, that is re you know live your life that it, it be, have a good testimony you know I, i'm amazed sometimes when i sit with people that are christians and they just they don't think nothing of it like i'm like okay like i'm glad you're comfortable around me but like I am your pastor, like, play it off a little bit, maybe. So, so God doesn't use, God doesn't use foul language. When I say that God swears, God swears to keep his promises. It says uh, in the scripture that, that I read that because there was no one greater for God to swear by that he swore by himself. Have you ever, like, said, you know what, man, swear to God. No, I'm telling you, I... I I saw so-and-so, you know, with, with, with a different person. Swear to God that you saw them. In, in, my, in, in my wife's house, this was heavy stuff, you know. Like that was the highest level, like 
like basically you could swear otherwise or you could lie otherwise but like if somebody said hey you got to swear to god like at that point like if you were lying like you kind of had to come clean you know like you couldn't swear to god and, and lie but what's god gonna do we swear by god because he's the greatest thing that we can swear on so he's like i swear by myself right and it says that that, that god that god can't lie and and when God swears upon himself, he, he did that because he swears to keep his, his promises. And, and the other uh, scripture verse says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his promise very clear to the heir, say, I am an heir. You, you're an heir of, of what God has promised. It says, uh, of what he promised, he confirmed it with an oath. So, in a minute, we're going to look at Genesis 15, where, where God entered into this oath with, with Abraham. But, but, but when we think of oaths, I, I don't know that we have a, a clear uh, definition because we're looking at, at, at ancient things in biblical times. And um, the ancient people called the oaths blood covenants. They called them blood covenants and and a blood covenant was something that would have been well known in the ancient world and there's some people that that even they they go by blood covenants today uh, michael franzese he's a mobster he turned into a christian he said you know the mafia still does blood covenants today when he became a made man he went into a room they they cut his hand blood dripped on the floor they took his hand they put a saint in his hand they lit it on fire they said, you're now born again into the Cosa Nostra. And if you betray this family, may you burn in hell like this saint does. It was, it was a blood covenant. They shed blood because it was sort of tying back to these ancient blood covenants. But, but back in biblical times, blood covenants were a little bit different. But, but for the most part, they had these different, uh, different aspects to them. So... I, I want to just very quickly look at these aspects of a blood covenant because we, we kind of think of contracts. But the Bible is a covenant book. It uses covenant language. And so I want us to understand truly what a blood covenant um, is because as we understand the blood covenant more, we'll understand, number one, what are the promises of Abraham? And really, we'll, we're going to look at the work of Jesus, not in terms of just a, a sacrifice, but in terms of a covenant. And, and we're going to grab a hold of the promises of God. So normally, a covenant would be entered into, you, a lot of times you would have two, two tribes. And you would have a representative head of each tribe. Now, the representative, you know, represented the entire tribe. So the agreement was between the entire tribe, but they would have one representative, usually the head person, of each tribe and the first thing they would do is they would take their coats off and they would do an exchange of coats and generally the coats that they wore would have different markings maybe stripes different ranks that would denote you know what tribe they were from and the different you know rankings that they had right if you think of even like right motorcycle groups right MCs they have all their different ranks and they have their patch on the back it wasn't exactly like that but if you could think like that and they would they would exchange they would exchange coats one person would take off his coat and there would be an exchange of coats and what it was saying is that you know 
all that I have is yours, and all that you have is now mine. So there would be an exchange there. And then if they had weapons, there was an exchange of, of weapons. And so, you know, they, the one person would have a weapon, they would give it to the other person, there would be an exchange. And what they were saying in that is, all the power that I have, it, I give to you. All my ability to fight and, and to defend. My enemies are now going to be your enemies. And even if we, we face an enemy that's too strong for both of us, that, that I'm swearing there that I'm going to fight to the death with you. That's how strong covenants were looked at uh, back in those days. And then there was the cutting of animals. Now this is where it gets kind of gross, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Um, an animal would be taken while it was alive, and they would slice its throat, and then they would take it, and, and they would cut it in half. And, and, and you know, obviously it was, there was entrails and blood that would be everywhere, and they would cut this animal in, the, in half, and they would lay one side over here and one side over there. And it would just make this, this, this giant pool of blood, and I mean, you can just picture it, you know, picture what it looked like, and... And, and even, you know, what it smelled like to have a large animal that was sort of fighting for its life and to just be killed, you know, in that moment. And what it would say is, my independence from you dies today. And if I break this covenant, let what is done to this animal be done to me. That's what it was saying. And then they would actually do a walk of blood. So you would have the two sides of the animal laid out and what they would do is they would sort of walk a figure eight between the two animals and as they were walking it would sort of make a figure eight there and and that's the symbol for infinity forever it wasn't a figure eight it's it, it's infinity some of you has infinity cars and you see that symbol and so that's what what they would make that um that it would symbolize that this is a covenant until death and then there would be a cutting of the hands or, or, or the wrist and, and they, would, they would cut their hand and they would generally raise their hand and, and blood would be dripping down their arm. Now it's personal, now it's not just an animal blood, now it's actually their blood and they would take their hand and they would swear an oath, right? If you went to court, you know, you, before you testify, you, you raise a hand and you swear an oath. That's where it comes from. But in that case, your hand would be bleeding, you would raise your hand, and you would swear an oath to keep the covenant. And then what you would do is, both people, once they both swore, they would take their hands and they would put them together. If you ever see like old westerns, like people would become blood brothers, you know? I, I can remember like me and my friends doing it when we were little, like pricking our thumbs and being like, now we're like blood brothers, you know what I mean? That was like before like AIDS came around and stuff like where it was like cool to exchange each other's blood. Anyway, but, but they, would, they would just like, you know, they would put their hands together and they would say, your blood is now my blood. In other words, your life is my life. Like we're part of the same family now. Your blood is, is my blood. And then, and then there would be a, a time of blessing and cursing. And this is where each person while they were standing in the pool of blood and we saw the the different aspects of um, the different aspects of the covenant being sort of uh, played out in ceremony but now they would actually say it 
You know, all I have is yours, all my power, all my authority, right? They would, they would go, and then if you break the covenant, what would happen to you? So they would go through a series of blessing and cursing, and a lot of times what they would do is, you know, like we get cut or something, and we generally want our scar to heal, but not then. They, they wanted the scar to be a mark of the covenant. And so a lot of times they would put like different stuff, dirt or or powder, whatever they had that would actually make heavy scarring so people could see the scars on them to know that they were in covenant together. It was, a, it was a mark of a seal of the covenant. And then a lot of times there would be an exchanging of, of names. And a lot of times the tribes would take one another's names, right? And, and now they were sort of part of the same family, the, the same tribe, right? We see this aspect in marriage. Right? Marriage that, 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 that the wife takes the husband's last name. In other words, like, we're no longer two separate individuals. We're now part of the same family. And that was done in the covenant. And finally, the covenant meal would generally be bread and wine where they would celebrate it together. And they said that this would represent my body and my blood coming into you. And so with this knowledge of covenant... Let's look at where God cuts a covenant with Abraham. So Genesis chapter 15, and that's where we're going to be. And although, although Abraham had left, he had stepped out in faith, and he had been blessed by God and in many ways, overcoming his enemies. He was, he was very rich in, in cattle and, and silver and gold. The, the promise to him was that he was going to be the father of many nations. So if somebody tells you, if you walk up to somebody, hey, you know what, I'm going to be the father of many nations. You're like, oh yeah, well, how many kids do you have? Oh, I don't have any. Well, how old are you? Uh, 90 years old. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll see you later, man. So he, he, he went, he, he obeyed God and he went out and he's, He's pursuing the promise, but, but at the same time, you know, we're going to see this aspect where he kind of has a little bit of doubt. He has a little bit of doubt. So we're going to enter into this conversation between Abraham and God when Abraham is sort of having a moment of doubt. And we're going to see how God reassures him that he's going to keep his promise through a blood covenant. Genesis 15 verse 1 says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. Verse 6 says that he believed the Lord, and it accounted to him for righteousness. Now that's one of the keystone verses that they use in the New Testament when describing the new covenant. It's an example for us 
of how we enter into the promises of God. It says that he believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness because he believed, because he put faith in what God told him and he believed it was placed in his account. The, the right standing with God and all the promises of God were placed in his, his account because of faith, because he believed. Let's go to verse 7. It says, then he said to him, I am the Lord. The one who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. That's where Abraham lived. To give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Again, he's believing in the promises, but he's saying like, okay, I don't have any kids. Like I have this guy that's kind of a servant. Like he's my only heir. He's not even a blood relative. And you're telling me that you're going to give me a land, but how will I know that I'm going to inherit the land? And God answers the question by, with covenant language, that he's going to enter into a blood covenant with Abraham. Verse 9, this is God speaking to Abraham. He said, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two, down the middle, and he placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So he's doing this procedure in covenant, like, how do I know I'll possess the land? God's like, we're about to make a blood covenant together. And so he gets the animals, and, and, and you could imagine that, that the reality of it is, you know, it doesn't go into gory detail. And I don't want to either, but you could imagine at that point, like, you know, Abram would have been covered in blood. It doesn't say that he, that he did the, the actual blood walk, but I believe that he did. Um, and, and I'm going to tell you why when we, we go a little farther. Um, verse 12. Now, now this, this section, 12 to 15, I'm going to read it, but this is kind of like a, more of like a, a parenthetical um, part of it. Where, where he's going to give Abraham a vision of actually when the Jews are going to be in captivity to Egypt for 400 years. So it's just kind of like, you know, parenthetical, in other words, like parentheses. Just so, so verse 12, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abraham, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them. And they will afflict them 400 years. And also, the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now, as far as, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. Let's continue to verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kezanites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Peruzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So 
that that smoking oven and that burning torch represented the very presence of God. It represented the presence of God. And so God's presence in a flame, right? How did God appear to Moses in a burning bush? Right? When the, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in Pentecost, there were tongues of fire above their head, right? So there was this holy fire that came down and, and literally did the blood walk in covenant with Abraham. So... What do we have to do with all this, and why does it matter to me? Why am I learning about ancient covenants and, and things like that? Well, the first reason that you need to understand is the seed of Abraham, which is the church. Uh, we're, we're heirs of this eternal promise. This is an eternal promise that goes back to both the national heritage and the spiritual heritage because we've been grafted in as a church so this is an eternal covenant no covenant annuls that so the same promises right we call them the blessings of abraham that were given to abraham are ours there are promises god swore to keep them via blood covenant it's eternal covenant so all that stuff that that i will bless those who bless you i will curse those who curse you right again covenant language your friends are my friends your enemies are are, are my enemies so that covenant is ours. Those promises are, are yours. And God went to great lengths to, to guarantee those promises. But I got some even better news for you. Did you know not only are we heirs of that covenant, but we're heirs of a greater covenant based on greater promises? That we have a covenant that's not based on the blood of, of animals, but it's based on the blood of Jesus Christ? This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6. It says, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in so much that he is a mediator of a better covenant, which what? Was established on better promises. So we have all the promises that were under the old covenant, but we have even more because we have a better covenant based on better promises. So in the next few minutes that we have together before we, we, we wrap it up, I, I want to look at the sacrifice of Jesus, not as just a simple sacrifice. We always say that, that he died in our place for our sins, and, and that's true. But there's so much more than that. I want us to look in aspect of a, a covenant that has been established between us and God so that we can grab hold of these promises. Are you with me? Are you still up? All right, here we go. So first of all, we talk first about the exchange of coats, right? That, that there was an exchange of coats that would happen. How many of you know that before Jesus was crucified, the first thing they did is they took his tunic. Remember it said that the, the men were, were gambling, they, they were gambling for, for his garment. In the book of Isaiah, it says that he has clothed us with robes of righteousness. So there Jesus became naked on the cross. And what was that? That was a covenant taking off his coat. And we give him our coat of sinfulness. And he gives us his coat of righteousness. That, that all he has, right? He had, he had righteousness. We had nothing but sin to give. 
And there was an exchange made, just like those men would exchange coats. We exchange that with Jesus on the cross. Our, our being clothed in righteousness is a promise of the covenant. He who knew no sin became sin. Why? Because he took our sin. So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That was the exchange of coats. That's, that's a promise for us. Then, then the exchange of, of weapons belts we talked about. That, that, that all the power I have, all the, everything that I have is yours. That, that the enemies, that, that your enemies are my enemies and your friends are, are, are my friends. The Bible says that for this reason the Son of God was manifested to destroy all the works of the devil. And so his enemies become our enemies. And not just that, we don't get just mere weapons, we get spiritual weapons. He gives us his authority in his name to, to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all powers of the enemy. Your authority over demon spirits and, and the power of the Holy Spirit that's been placed inside of you to overcome any obstacle is a promise of the covenant. There's an exchange there. But this exchange is a little one-sided because we don't have weapons to fight against the devil on our own. But Jesus has all authority and he gives us that authority and that power so that the devil is underneath our feet. Then there's the cutting of the, the animals as a sacrifice. And instead of offering up a sacrifice, Jesus becomes the sacrifice. John said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's why he was referred to as the Lamb. He was the, the, the sacrifice that was offered. And so we're not sealed with the blood of an animal, the blood of a bull, the blood of a, a goat. We are sealed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And then the, the, the walk of blood, both parties would enter into the, the walk of blood saying that this covenant is forever. And in this case, God's part is that he sent his son. Right? What does John 3.16 say? Anybody? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever will believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. So we enter into the, the, the blood covenant when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. God initiates the covenant by, by, by sending his son. And we enter into the covenant by putting our faith in Jesus, who he is and, and, and what he did. And then you have the cutting of the hands and wrists. And when I was prepping this, this was the most powerful part that really stuck out to me. Because at that cross, not only were the hands of Jesus pierced, but on that cross, Jesus' hands were raised up. In the same way that somebody would cut their hands and say, I, I swear to keep this covenant. But Jesus had one hand raised to God. And one hand raised to us on that cross. And, and, and never before could the blood of God and the blood of man be mixed. Because God was spirit. So how do you do it? 
Jesus became a man. The word took on flesh and dwelled among us. So for the very first time, God in the flesh actually had blood. And it's almost like he had one hand to God and one hand to humanity. That my blood is now your blood. My life is now your life. You've been born into a whole new family. You've been born again into the family. His life is our life. We are, we, we are his family. And then there, there's the blessing and the cursing. Many theologians have said that at the cross of Christ, it's where God's wrath and God's mercy intersected on the cross. That we see God's wrath upon sin, but we see his mercy as Jesus takes the sin upon himself. And if we enter into the covenant, there's great promises, including forgiveness of sins, the power of the Holy Spirit manifested in our life, and eternal life with the Lord. But if we reject the covenant, there's severe consequences, namely internal separation from God in a place called hell. And then there's the seal of the covenant. One of the most curious things about Jesus' resurrection is, did you ever think about the fact that he maintained the scars on his hands? It's not that he didn't have the power to, to heal that when he, when he rose up from the tomb. It's right, he could have healed his body completely. When, when Jesus resurrected, appeared to Thomas, Thomas said, hey, I, I don't know if I believe you until I stick my, my hands in your wounds. And he did. Why? Because the scars were still there. Just as those people would keep the scars on their hands as signs of the covenant, the scars of the hands of Jesus are the signs of an everlasting and eternal covenant. It even says in the book of Zechariah that they're going to say, like, where are those wounds from you? He's going to say, I got them in the house of my friends. Even when Jesus comes back, people are going to see the scars on his hand. And what is it? It's the sign of the covenant that he made between you and I. And then there was the exchange of names. What did Jesus say? Anything that you ask of the Father in my name, it will be done for you. Jesus has given us the use of his very name, denoting that we are brought into the family. And everything that he has, he now declares to us. When we pray and proclaim the name of Jesus, when I pray for something and I say, I pray it in Jesus' name, what am I doing? I'm declaring the covenant promises because there was names exchanged at the cross. When I put my faith in Jesus, I took upon his very name. I'm in the family. I'm an heir of the family. And now I can pray in his name. Why? Because we are in blood covenant together. And finally, the covenant meal. And as we close today, I want to enter in to this covenant, this covenant meal, remembering that every promise in him is yes and amen. And, and having doubts, having moments of doubt is normal, but living in those doubts is, is, is shameful when God has gone to great lengths to declare his promises to us via covenant. Can we just do this right now? I just want to have just a moment of silence and reflection and allow 
old world. Let's just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. on the fact that you're a covenant partner with God? Where have you doubted? What promise do you need to grab a hold of today? didn't get a communion cup when you came in, just stick a hand up and an usher will come around to give you this. And so I want us to, to enter in now with the knowledge that we have a better covenant based on better promises. And if you're here today, this is this is for Christians. You, you're saved. You, you entered into the covenant. If you're not there yet today, it's okay. We're glad you're here. Love to talk to you about it. But this is for believers. These are for those who entered into the covenant and the covenant promises of God. We have everybody taken care of. I think we got one person in the back. Luckily, we got like 30 people. Trying to get in there. Let's just lift up our elements. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we recognize that we have a covenant with you. A covenant that was ratified at the shed blood of Calvary because of the fact that Jesus' body was broken for us, that his blood was shed on our behalf. We acknowledge that he bore sin, sickness, disease, sorrow, grief, fear, torment, unforgiveness, strife, and lack for us. Through his sacrifice, we have complete redemption and total deliverance from the works of Satan. As new creations in Christ Jesus, we realize our freedom has been bought and paid for we are forgiven, we are redeemed, and we give thankfuls for it all in Jesus' name. Go ahead and take the bread. In the book of Matthew, it says as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And then it says, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Go ahead and take the... 
was the final step in the covenant, that his body became our body, that his blood became our blood, that we are partakers of the divine nature, the same spirit that raised, raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us, that we have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, that by his stripes that we have been healed, that we have authority over the, the enemy, that he will protect us, that he will provide for us, that he will comfort us, that he will lift us up when we're down. These are the promises of God, and that's just a few. Can we take a moment today, and can we just begin to thank him in our own voice? And I, I know when I do this, everybody's just very quiet, and it's just, I feel like I'm yelling in a room by himself. Is anybody, if you're thankful to the Lord, I need you to open up your mouth and actually speak at this time. And just begin giving thanks to God. Let's just pray as a church. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Are we thankful for the forgiveness of sins? Are we, are we thankful that we've been redeemed from the curse? That, that, we're, that we're above all powers and principalities? That the things that Jesus has done for us, Lord, we just thank you. We praise you and, and we honor you, Lord. We thank you that, that, that you are faithful to keep your promises. We thank you that you are a good father. And this is an eternal covenant never goes away, never goes away, like partners with God, amen, amen, we're going to worship together one song, let's just give them praise, keep the promises, amen, thank you Lord, thank you Lord.
hope that is an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And I'm here to announce today that the anchor holds. Amen? When you get a bad doctor's report, guess what? The anchor holds. When you're having financial trouble, the anchor holds. When your kids start going crazy, the anchor holds. No matter what storm comes your way in the wind, the anchor holds. shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance upon you. 